Beloved congregation in the Lord Jesus Christ, what is the purpose of the church? You ask that question to people and you'll have all kinds of different answers, but uh, I'm asking you this morning, what is the purpose of the church? That the purpose has been seen by different people in different times and in different ways. That, let's say some people view the church as what's called a hospital. Views at a hospital as people then are brought in from the world and they're brought into a place where there's healing that goes on. But, you know, it's not far from that. There is an aspect of that. But within the church, if it's viewed as a hospital, what do people in a hospital do? They're sick. They usually don't do anything. They're, they're, they're in bed. They're being attended to. They don't attend to anybody else. They are being served by everybody. So there is one sense where somebody is brought in from the world and healing takes place. Uh, yes, we understand it. But is that the purpose of the church? Is the church's purpose to be a hospital? Some have said that the church's purpose to be militant within this world. So we are the army of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are to go into the world and we are to be the salt and the light and we are to expose the evil and the wickedness in this world. Well, yes, there is an aspect of the church as being an army of Jesus Christ. And yes, the scriptures speak about us in Matthew 5 being salt and light. And Paul even says that we are light in Jesus Christ in Ephesians 5 and therefore we expose the darkness. But is that the purpose of the church? Again, others will say the purpose of the church is societal. So in other words, uh, you are to provide for the sick and for the poor and provide for their needs and, and serve the people in that way. And yes, we find that in the book of Acts, that we are to care for the poor. We are to provide for those who have needs. There is that aspect as well. But is that the purpose of the church? Because <clears throat> that's not what you find in our text this morning. What you find of the purpose of the church is God working in and through uh, the preaching, the ministry of the Word, and the congregations itself to be conformed into the likeness of Jesus Christ. Then all these things will fall out from that. That's a work. That's something that the church does. But what is the purpose of the church? To be conformed to the image of Christ that it might glorify God. We have functions, and rightly so. But the purpose of the church is to honor God in all that it does. Whether it worships, whether it serves and cares for the poor, whether it's the church militant, whether it's a hospital, whatever it's doing is to be conformed to Christ's likeness. It's the purpose of the church. It's to honor and glorify the Lord. It's to reflect His glory here on earth. And so, to that end, the, the Lord has given, and uh, what we call the ordinary offices today, the pastor-teacher, and the sacraments. The, we have the Lord's Supper, we have uh, baptism. <clears throat> That's the day of the ordinary. We don't live, and you know, if, if you disagree with this, then show me in Scripture. That's a problem with people today is they'll sit in the pew and they'll say, I disagree, but they have no hermeneutic. They have no way to exegete the text of Scripture. They've just heard somebody else say something, and that's the position they hold, and all they do is snipe. They're snipers. They, they shoot from a distance. 
People do that on the internet all the time. They never reason through and provide biblical reasons for why they believe what they believe. We don't live in the day of the extraordinary. We don't live in the day of the apostles and the prophets. We don't live in the day of the showy gifts. Those were the gifts of the apostles. And you find that, and I showed you, I demonstrated uh, last time as we were looking at this, that as time went by in the life of the church and more revelation was given, the less and less were the extraordinary gifts. Signs, wonders, tongues, revelatory knowledge, those things were disappearing. And even we read in 1 Corinthians 13, tongues would run themselves out, and whether there is a prophecy that is given directly from God, So direct revelation, that would fade away as well. Why? Because when the perfect has come, what is that? That's the completion of the canon of Scripture, the Word of God. Once we have the completion of the canon of God's Word, we don't need the sign gifts any longer because the sign gifts had a purpose of substantiating the messenger. Of This is how you know. Let me give you an example. When Elisha who was basically an attendant to Elijah. He was an apprentice. He was being taught by Elijah. When Elijah told Elisha that he was was going to leave, he was going to be taken up into heaven, um, Elisha said to Elijah, give me a double portion of your spirit. And Elijah said to him, this is a hard thing that you ask, but if you see me go into heaven, it will be granted to you. Now, a double portion is that he wanted power, he wanted the strength, he wanted to be able to do the things that Elijah did with greater power. Maybe with a greater, broader in his work. An extent of his work would be greater. So, Elijah was taken up into heaven in a chariot of fire, and Elisha saw it, and the mantle, which with the prophets wore, fell to Elisha. As Elisha began to walk out from where they were to where the school of the prophets were on the other side of the Jordan River, and the men who were there, the prophets, saw Elisha, and they asked the question, what is Elisha doing with Elijah's mantle? And Elisha came up to the River Jordan. He took off the mantle, and he hit the River Jordan, and it parted, and he walked by and walked through the river. And the prophet said, Elisha is God's prophet. The miracle substantiated the messenger. And that's what the New Testament, that's what the gifts were for. It was for the foundation of the church, not for the 20th floor. We don't test things now by signs and wonders, but by the teaching of God's Word. Is it in accordance with Scripture? We are to test all things and hold fast to that which is true. 1 Thessalonians 5. Jesus said in John 7, When you judge, use righteous judgment. Righteous judgment is judging according to the teaching of God's Word. But now, we live in the day of the ordinary. (laughs) That's what you got. The pastor, teacher. And it's... There's a coordinating conjunction between pastor and teacher, which means a function of the pastor is teaching. It's not two offices. It is one office, and the function is didaskalon. He is one who teaches God's Word. There is the preaching aspect as well. And so, his function then 
is to prepare the saints to do the work of ministry. Not my ministry. I have an aspect of ministry within this congregation. So do you. That has been such a misnomer today to think that it is the clergy that does everything and you do nothing. And you come and you give of your tithes and offerings for the pastor to do everything in the congregation. That's not what the scripture teaches. We are the priesthood of all believers. We were all called to worship and serve one in this way and one in that way in conjunction with the gifts that God has given to you. Because with the gifts corresponds a certain ministry within the congregation. Now, are you exercising your gifts? A sad sad thing in the life of the church is it's always this way. About 10 or 20% do 80 or 90% of the work. Too many, way too many, and too many of you come and go. You come, and you receive, and you partake, and you walk away, and you don't give. And I'm not talking about you giving of tithes and offerings. I'm talking about you giving of yourself to others, because this is what a body does. Paul says, we not only imparted to you the gospel of God, but ourselves as well. We gave ourselves to you. That's what a body does. It gives to one another. It provides with the gifts and the abilities that have been given to you from the Lord. That's how the body is built up. And that's what we see is the purpose of the pastor is to teach that within the congregation. You have gifts, beloved. If you're a believer, God has given you gifts. You notice he's ascended on high and he's uh, led captivity captive and he's given gifts to men. Christ has given gifts. What is your gift? Where do you fit in? Many people don't even know where they fit in in the body of Christ. What is your purpose? How are you to serve? Where are you to serve? What are you to do? Um, I can't tell you what you are uh, supposed to do. I can see certain gifts in people. And you ought to be serving. You ought to be ministering. Otherwise, we're robbing from God. It's been too long, way too long. That people view worship like a movie theater. You come in, sit down, relax, you know, you know, pass the soda, give me some popcorn, and then movie's over, out the door, there I go. You never impart anything to anybody. What are you giving to the body of Christ? You're receiving, and rightfully so. You ought to receive, but necessarily, beloved, you're called to give. Give unto the Lord, and you give unto the body of Christ. As there is one head, one body, many members, they don't all have the same function. So each member then has a particular function to strengthen the whole of the body of Christ. That's what Paul is getting at. So that we would become mature in Christ. Notice our text, verse 14. We are to become mature... We are to grow in stature. That, notice the purpose clause, that we should no longer be children. Children. Uh, the Greek term there, napios, means one who doesn't speak. Immature. Doesn't know what to say. Doesn't know how to say it. Have you been there? Are you there? Are you there so you don't know what to say to people? Why? Why is it? Are you not reading the scriptures? Are you not praying? Are you not fellowshipping? Some of you have a bad habit. Some of you have a bad habit of blowing off worship. 
Coming when you want. Doing the bare minimal. Well, you know, if I come a couple of times a month, they won't say anything. You're not here for me. You're here to worship the Lord. God commands you to be here. God commands you not to forsake the gathering together of the people of God, which is the manner of some. I'm not talking about when you're providentially hindered. I'm not talking about works of mercy, works of necessity. Law enforcement, hospital workers, uh, there are some with the working in the, uh, uh, the retirement homes, things of that nature. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about you just being lazy. Doing other things when you ought to be worshiping. Going fishing on the Lord's Day when you ought to be in worship. Going to the ball game when you ought to be in worship. Going to family gatherings when you ought to be in worship. That's what I'm talking about. It's a bad habit. Some of you are in that habit. And because of that, you're like, you're like a child. You know, I saw this quote this week. It says, uh, you know, I don't, uh, I, don't go to, I don't go to church. What they meant is I don't go to worship. But I don't belong to a church. I just stay at home and study the Bible by myself. Which is evident that they don't study the Bible by themselves. Because if you studied the Bible by yourself, you would realize that it's not about self. It's a body. And that if you studied the Word of God, you would know that you are to be part of that body and involved in the life of that body. Otherwise, you are like a physical body with its limbs cut off, sitting in the closet somewhere in a jar with some kind of chemical in there to try to preserve it. And you know that it's disconnected from the body and you wouldn't say, oh, my body's all together, I just got my fingers in the other room. That's how most people treat the body of Christ. But it's not what you find in Scripture. Paul says that we should no longer be children. You know how children are. Children are gullible. Children are manipulated. Uh, many of you have taught your children, so don't talk to strangers. Because you don't know. Um, you know, watching things, watching kids, and watching the manipulation that goes on, you've got to be very careful with your children. I, I saw something the other day with regards to Interstate 80. And it spoke of, it is the pipeline of drugs and human trafficking. A tunnel, a pipeline. I mean, so much happens on Highway 80. In, in and through Nebraska. You've got to be careful with your kids. You've got to be careful. Because they don't know. They're gullible. You know... A good test, you take them to the mall and you see somebody of a friend of yours that they don't know goes up to them and says, Hey, I got some candy here. Would you like some? How do they respond? And the next thing you know, they're being stuffed into a van. That's what children do. That's what spiritual children do as well. They can't discern, they're manipulated. They're childish. They can't speak. They can't defend. They don't speak up. Paul says that you shouldn't be a child. You've got to grow up. So you're no longer tossed to and fro. And the force of the Greek text there is means a surge. To be tossed by a surge. In other words, think about a, a boat that is on the water that has no anchor. And when there is no anchor, when the wind blows and the surge comes in, it pushes that boat wherever the water goes. 
The wind is blowing this way, there it goes. It has no rhyme or reason, no direction in life. Tossed to and fro. And that means, as Paul says here, carried about by every wind of doctrine. Can't discern whether or not this is from the Lord or this is from the devil. Satan doesn't come waving a red flag saying, trying to lead you down the path of destruction. He comes, as Paul says, as an angel of light. He comes in craftiness. He came to Eve, wily, crafty. He's a wordsmith, sophistry. He is one who is able to turn phrases to confuse the mind. It sounds pretty good. But discernment, beloved, is not just discerning that which is true and that which is false. It's discerning that which is true as compared to that which is almost true. You know, you're saved by grace, but you also have to do good works. How's that defined? Is that true? Is it true that I'm saved by grace, but I also have to do good works? I need more information on that. You need to elaborate. I need you to speak a little bit more to that. I'm not sure what you're saying here. Are you saying that I have to believe in Christ plus my good works equals salvation? If you're saying that, then let me grab you by the scruff and kick you right on out. Because that's heresy. But if you're saying that I'm saved by grace and because I'm saved, I'm commanded to do good works, well, then that's another issue. That's true. How about this one? You will be judged in the end times, eschatological, it's called the end times, eschatological justification based upon your works. Is that true? It's been a teaching that has been going around in Reformed churches for the last 20 years. Beloved, you are saved solely and completely by the work of Jesus Christ alone. That is your justification before God. He is your righteous standing before God. That will never change. You are not more justified today than you were yesterday. Justification doesn't know degrees. You are justified once and for all, covered and clothed in Jesus Christ. He is your standing before God. Now, as a believer, one who was born of the Spirit of God, you are called and commissioned to do good works. And God then saves us by His grace through faith in Jesus Christ, and He rewards us by our works. That is what the Gospel teaches. Our justification, being those that are declared righteous and holy, has nothing to do with us. But as those who are justified in Christ and being sanctified, God rewards us by our works. And that, even that reward, as the Catechism says, comes by grace. So, are you able to discern? How many persons is Christ? Do we worship one God or three gods? Well, it's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And they're all three gods. They're all three gods, so why is it not three gods? Are you able to defend that? Because the Scriptures teach that there is only one God. 
And yet there are three persons in Scripture, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, who are all called God. Now what do you do with that? Do you buy into the world? Well, that's a contradiction then. No, it's not a contradiction. They're three in person, but they're one in essence. They're not three in the same essence. They're not same in the same way. So it's not a logical fallacy. Are you able to defend that? I mean, the simple things even that come in. Uh, you know, you don't, you don't have to belong to a, a congregation. You ever heard that? You don't have to, you don't have to go there. You, you know, you can worship God on a mountain. I mean, all these tree huggers come up with this kind of nonsense. And then the church can't defend. It doesn't know what to say. It doesn't know what to do. Beloved, we are always to stick to the Word of God. We're to judge everything according to the Word of God. If it doesn't speak according to the Word, it's because there's no truth. And everything that is false will always fall. Everything that's false can't stand. Why? It's contrary to God's economy. So we are not to be tossed to and fro. And if you're not faithfully exercising the means of grace that God has given, and again, here it comes again, reading the Word of God. So as you find in Acts chapter 2, the Apostles' Doctrine, the breaking of bread, Lord's Supper, fellowship and prayers. If you're not involved in that, you're going to be weak. Necessarily weak. And if you're weak spiritually, you're easy prey for the devil. And what does he do? He brings false doctrine that you can't discern. It's going to happen to you when you die. It's going to happen to your body. Are you going to be in the ground and your soul is going to be there until the resurrection and you're just going to be dormant there until the end? It's going to happen. Your soul is going to depart from your body and to be with the Lord and your body is going to go to the ground and it's going to become dust again. And then in the resurrection, God is going to bring the dust together again. And you are going to be who you are. You're not going to be God. And you're not going to know all things because you'll always be a creature. You'll just put on immortality and incorruption. Do you understand that? Do you understand you're not going to be an angel? Do you understand that there is no such thing as karma? There is no such thing as reincarnation. You're not going to be in another life an aardvark, an anteater, or a bug, or a butterfly. I mean, people believe this nonsense. Beloved, if you don't believe God's Word, I've got a lot of things to sell you. And you'll buy it. Because if you don't believe the teaching of Scripture, you will give way to any kook and nut that comes along with some kind of perverse doctrine. Because you can't discern. Well, maybe. That may be the case. How many ways are there to heaven? One. One. One way. And that one way is one person. And that one person is Jesus. Not Muhammad. Not Buddha. Not Confucius. Not the Virgin Mary. Not the Pope. Not any of those other but Jesus Christ. And if you don't come to Him, you perish. Period. Well, what about my friends that are sincere? They're sincerely wrong. They're contrary to the Word of God. So, notice what he says here. There is a trickery of men that comes up. The trickery. Interesting word. Kubia. It's where we get the word cube or dice. What does it refer to? It's a professional gambler. This is the trickery of men. They're professional. 
Paul speaks about them in Galatians. They came in to spy out our liberty that we have in Christ. They came to deceive. They came to corrupt. The gospel that we preach to you, Jesus, or Paul says, notice this, turn to Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1. Just go back a few pages from where you're at. Um, and <clears throat> starting at verse 6, he says, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. A different gospel. Paul says here, which is not another. Had the Mormons come to my house one time, and I asked them, what are you guys doing? And they said, well, we're out telling people the good news. I said, really? Interesting. I said, what's the bad news? Guy didn't know what to say. Because in their theology, there is no hell. There's just levels of heaven. Couldn't answer. I said, you're not telling me good news. If you're telling me that I need to do certain things to make myself right or to keep myself right before the true and living God, that is not good news. That is contrary to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul says, it is not another. But there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. They want to. That's how Satan comes. He, is, he comes as an angel of light and he comes with perversion and he comes to confuse and distort the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul speaks of that in 2 Corinthians 11. He says his ministers do the same thing. Satan has ministers. He has men who are in pulpits today preaching something that is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. Maybe it's moralism. Do this and God will like you. Paul says, verse 8, But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what, we have, uh, what you have received, let him be accursed. And it means to be accursed. It means to be under the wrath of God. It means to be under the curse of God. That's what it means. If you come and you tell people that you can be redeemed by your works, oh, I believe a little bit in Jesus, but by what you do, you're under the curse of God. Paul says, let them be anathema. Let them be stricken from the face of the earth. And there are many perverters of the gospel today. So Paul goes on and he says that we are not to give in, and you will if you remain a child. The cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. The cunning craftiness is the manipulation that goes on by false teachers. But, he says, contrary to this, we are to speak the truth in love. Notice that, speak the truth in love. The word truth there is a participle, which is basically a verbal noun. And literally it says, truthing in love. We are to be people that are truthing in love, speaking the truth. That's what love does. Love speaks the truth. We don't live in that age today. People don't like to hear the truth. The truth hurts. The truth stings. One time I had some, some cuts on my body. Living in California. Went down to the ocean. Went into the water. The salt water. And 
it stung. I walked in and it hurt. But it didn't take long before the sting went away. And necessarily healing took place. And when I came out, it didn't look like how I went in. Something had changed because of the saltiness in the water and how it has a preserving effect upon the body and their healing began. That's what the truth does. The the truth sets you free. Jesus said, if you continue in my word, then you are my disciples indeed and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And he who is free is free indeed. Free from the lies of this world. Free from the deception. Able to discern Because you have the truth of God's word. David said in Psalm 119, I am wiser than all of my teachers because I have your commandments and I keep them. Speaking the truth in love. Telling people truth. But let me me ask you, are there people that you're not speaking truth to because you're afraid? Well, I might lose my job if I speak the truth. Compromiser. Who likes to hear that? I don't speak the truth because it may cause a ruckus within my family. Coward. That's what you are. You're a compromising coward if you don't speak the truth of God. And there are scores of them in the church today that don't speak. They're like these babies. They can't open their mouth. So they say nothing. You don't have to be rude. You don't have to be obnoxious, but you have to speak. The Lord didn't redeem you so that you would go around with clothed mouth. To be salt and light is necessarily to expose the darkness, which is error, with the light, which is truth. It is not that way. It is this way. This is what the Lord says. That sets people free. Do you think you can lose your salvation? Can you be robbed of your salvation? Can you be saved one day and the next day lost? There are people that believe that and they're frightful. And yet the scripture says that nothing will ever separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing will snatch you from me. You are a sheep in my hand. No one takes my sheep from me. There's no one who has the strength, the ability to rob us from the Lord Jesus Christ. If that was possible, there would be no sheep of Christ. Because Satan would rob us all. But he can't. Think about this, beloved. Think about in the scriptures with Job. Satan comes to the Lord and he wants Job. He's wanted Job for a long time. And the Lord initiates it. Have you considered my servant Job? Yeah, I have. But you've put a hedge around him and I can't get at him. If he could have gotten at him, he would have gotten at him. But he couldn't. And the Lord says, well, here, everything that he has in your power, only don't put a finger on the man. Limitations. So he went out and struck the things that he had. And all of his livestock and his servants and his children ended up being killed. But he couldn't touch Job. And then he says, you know what? Job only loves you because you put a hedge around him. You give him all these goodies. Skin for skin. A man will give anything for his life. So the Lord says, okay, he is in your hand. Do with him as you will, only do not kill the man. He inflicted him with boils. And he held fast his integrity. Do you see the point, beloved? Nothing can come upon you apart from the will of God. It is God's devil. 
The Lord owns the devil. The Lord controls the devil. He is sovereign in this world. Who is under His control? Every single individual in this world. Putin is in the hands of the Lord. He controls all things. Life and breath and health and all things belong to the Lord. So why do you fear? Why do we fear? We get anxious. We get fearful. Why? Because we are not then reflecting upon God's Word. We are not fortifying our souls with truth. And we become those that are tossed to and fro by every wave and wind of doctrine that comes through the church. And there are always, Satan is always trying to blow winds of doctrine through the church to deceive the people and lead them astray. So, we are true speakers. And we grow up into all things into Him who is the head. Cry, grow up! Christian maturity. Be mature. In malice, be babe. In evils, be babe. But in understanding, be mature. Grow up. So what you say to your kids, don't you? Stop acting like a child. Grow up. Start making decisions. Discern. Think this through. Reason about that. That's what we are called as Christians. And it's from whom the whole body is joined and knit together. We are joined as a body. As I said before, every part has its share to do. Um, this, what he says here, what every joint supplies, is, a, is an instrument of measurement that was used. Every part has an aspect, a weight to bring. And you are to do your share, beloved. If you don't do your share, then somebody else, the weight falls on them and they are taxed because they're not called to do that. They're not gifted to do that. They may be able to do it, but it's a struggle. And why is it a struggle? Because you're not doing your share. Pull your weight. This is how the body grows. By what every joint and ligament supplies. I'll I'll give you a a physical example. I have a a bad groin. It's been bad since 2019 when I had pneumonia. So I took antibiotics that tore tendons. And it, it did some damage to my groin. Now I have a, a hitch in my giddy-up. I have difficulty in moving certain ways. I mean, even walking up these steps right here, it's hard for me to lift my left leg without pain. That affects all of the body. You go to the chiropractor and he says, your, your legs are kind of whacked out. Well, that's right, because my right leg is picking up the slack of the left. And it wasn't designed to do that. It's bearing weight that is putting pressure on it and is debilitating my right leg because it's bearing things of the left. That's the physical body. Spiritual body is no different. We're debilitated when each part doesn't do its share. This is what Paul says. We're knit together for this. And it's according to the effective working by which every part does its share. It causes growth. You need me and I need you. We need one another. And when you exercise the gifts that God has given you, it edifies me. To edify is to build up. It encourages. I love to see that in the life of the congregation. 
I love to see those who have the ability to teach, who have gifts to teach. And yes, there are some of you that have gifts to teach. You haven't been called to be the pastor. You haven't been called to be an elder. But you certainly have a gift. And you exercise that in the midst of the congregation. You instruct. And I'm talking about spiritual instruction. You're not doing one plus one is two. You're bringing somebody to the Word of God. You're encouraging them with the Word. That is a blessing. It's a blessing to hear that so-and-so visited so-and-so when they were in the hospital. That's, that's a blessing. I'm not angry about that. I'm blessed by that. That puts a smile on my face. That we as a body are functioning as a body and we're doing ministry. We're doing it together. You're doing your share. You're doing your part. I'm doing my share. I'm doing my part. And this edifies and causes growth of the body. Beloved, let's grow up. No longer children. Let's grow up in the Word of God. And notice, my arm doesn't grow and everything else is stagnant. It grows together. The body grows together. It's a together walk. We give ourselves to one another. We impart gifts to one another. This glorifies the Lord. And it edifies the body. And we reach out as, as, a, as a militant force, as a hospital, as those who give to the poor and provide for those who have need. And that's how the church functions because its purpose is Christ-likeness to the glory of God. Beloved, when that happens... That is a wondrous, organic unity that God brings together. And we shine as lights in the world. That's what Paul says. Get busy, grow up, do your part. That Christ who brought us together would be honored, glorified, and praised. Amen. Shall we pray?